The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, trade. Mm, Big word. Let's get started. As companies like yours put in place better processes and improved tools to manage your cross-border business transactions, and you know if you're a global company or if you're thinking about it, you're going to have to do cross-border business, but I digress, you'll continue to face increasing multinational legislative requirements. OMG, there are governments and sanctions and restrictions and do this with this country and not with that company. And guess what? Your compliance burden gets bigger and bigger and heavier all the time. But there was a light at the end of the tunnel. You just might find some opportunities to gain a better, sharper, competitive edge. So here's the question of the day. Can technology really help your company reduce complexity and accelerate international trade? Ah, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, I have a panel of three experts who are going to tell us how you can do it. First up is Kevin Riddell. He's the International Logistics Manager at Tremco, Inc. That's T-R-E-M-C-O. And Kevin sent me the following interesting quote. You have to be a little strange to get trade compliance. I'm not sure whether to, whether to emphasize strange or to get. Kevin Riddell, help me out here. How are you today? Very good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. So, Kevin, talk to me about this very interesting quote. What meanest thou? Well, compliance comes from the government generally, and in my opinion, the government doesn't always make sense. So you have to be a little bit on their wavelength to really follow what they're trying to do in some of these things. Okay, so let's expand that. We're talking about trade. We're talking about international trade management. What ki- Just get us started here, Kevin, a little more. Sure. What kinds of pitfalls, loopholes? Uh, p- paint well, the picture for us, please. I'll give a simple example, free trade agreements. Everybody knows that a free trade agreement means no duty and easier trade between countries. Not everybody realizes they typically come with a phone book-sized rule book that if you don't speak this new language called free trade agreement language it doesn't even Mm -hmm. make sense to you so there's regulations on top of regulations and and footnotes to everything is there a light at the end of the tunnel though that's how i started the show you agree we're going to get some opportunity out of this kevin Uh, absolutely yes but once you understand the point and once you realize what you're looking at you can navigate these rules absolutely uh and automation is a big part of that Okay, good. And one question, when you say you have to be a little strange, people are probably scratching their heads. Is he saying I'm strange because I think I get it? So what kind of strange are we talking about here, Kevin? Put everybody's minds to rest, please. Give the egos a little break. Go ahead. Not that strange. You just have to enjoy uh, (laughs) cracking open a good government regulation book and having a fireside read on a Sunday afternoon. And and I admit I am that person. So if anyone feels Ah. strange, you, you don't have to feel bad. 
Okay, you're in good company with Kevin Riddell at Tremco. Thank you, Kevin. Good introduction. Let's turn to our second panelist. It's Rajen Iyer. He's co-founder and CTO of Crypt Inc., K-R-Y-P-T. Interesting. And we'll find out later in the show what they do. And here's a quote from none other than Teddy Roosevelt. And the quote is, believe you can and you're halfway there. Welcome, Rajen. And tell us, why did you pick this quote from Theodore Roosevelt for today's topic? Talk to me. Yeah, thank you, Manny, for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason Pleasure. I picked this quote is um, one other thing we see in many of the companies we have been working with is they find it very daunting to take up any automation, um, especially as Kevin was mentioning about a trade being a very high regulatory and and there are so complex um, you know regulations involved. Um, it's hard for companies to not just interpret those regulations and, you know, apply there in their business, but also looking at how they can even automate the supply chain. So my, um, this kind of, this um, particular thing I picked up is to give them that, you know, you need to start to believe that you can automate, you can start to take up this challenge. And that applies to even internally to my own team and my company that mm-hmm. we constantly innovate. So that's the one of the reasons I picked that, you know, um, you need to believe at least that you can do it. Um, obviously, people when they're implementing these global trade, they are dealing with you know multiple geographies, different languages, mm-hmm. different regulation, and they are also constantly changing. So I want to come with a very positive note that you know definitely you can do it. You know you need to start believing first. So. There is good optimism. Let me ask you a question, Rajan, before we bring in our third panelist. Question for you is, what part of the organization, and I don't know how big your company is, but let's use you as the model here. What part of the organization needs to be the first believer? We used to call them a banner waver. I don't know if you remember back in the old days. Who's the, the flag bearer, the banner waver who's saying, yes, we can, yes, we can? Who's that cheerleader? Do they have a, a, le- a C letter in front of the name? Are they part of the C-suite? Or where do they live on the, excuse the expression, the food chain inside? let's say a mid-sized company, what do you observe, Rajan? Absolutely. This is a very good question, Marnie. Um, Thank you. What we see is um, this has to come from the business. And one thing we do see, um, you know, typically any um, complex uh, ERP and trade is no different from that, is the business has to own. And Kevin, you can see that he's coming from a business and we have seen other customers as well who have taken this ownership. And we have seen the success who become the kind of the cheerleader, as you mentioned. Um, and it also has to be top-driven, top, um, you know, from the company side. They need to understand the importance of that. Um, I can cite some examples of companies where we have worked with. Uh, it has become a very important corporate-level program where the CEO itself is taking interest, and it's a top-down you know, approach because, you know, it has a very global impact within the company across your supply chain. So definitely business and obviously rest of the people on the, um, you know, in NSA that supporting organizations like IT and other people do follow. Um, and they have to get trade, has to get a lot of um, buy-in from different organizations. So starting from business, I would say, um, yeah. Thank you. Good answer. Appreciate that. We'll be learning more from Rajan Iyer in the program. Marcus Pushke, Principal Consultant at SAP, sent me the following quote from C.J. Cherry, and I'm interested to hear where this came from. Trade isn't about goods. Trade is about information. Goods sit in the warehouse until information moves them. This is a terrific quote. Marcus Pushke, welcome. How are you today? Thanks. I'm great. Hi, Bonnie, and thanks for having me on the show today. 
were delighted. Um, Talk to me. Interesting quote. <laughs> right. How? Tell me about the background of you quoted C.J. Cherry. I, I looked her up and I couldn't find this quote, so I'm very delighted to have it because it makes perfect sense for our conversation. Uh, talk to me. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just uh, start by saying that I'm a little bit embarrassed because I, I think that Kevin and uh, Ryan already nailed it perfectly when, when Kevin said that you need more or less to be a masochist to deal with customs matters <laughs> and trade compliance and, and Ryan exactly saying the way it is that you do not have to convince y- y- your employees, you know, being stuck in their daily work that there is a bottleneck coming up, but it must be a top-down um, um, access. But, but when it comes to the quote, yeah, I mean, this is just more or less to illustrate that uh, in today's world, uh, with its highly time-critical business processes, uh, you can't separate the data flow from the goods flow. And that also goes along with uh, the increasing tendency of your customs office uh, not only to control the, the physical goods, but also the data accompanying the goods. For example, you know, there are maybe many do not know, but there are many background checks being run in terms of your business partners, the potential end use, sensitive end use, um, and so on and so on. So really, it's, uh, it's that your data more or less get, gets x-rayed during your logistic processes, you know. And that's what I meant to express by choosing the, uh, the quotation. Great quote. Thank you very much. Uh, So you agree with the masochist part. Do you also agree with what Rajan said about there needs to be a cheerleader, a banner waver, somebody on the business side who is optimistic, perhaps not at the get-go, but certainly when you're starting to to dig into the process. What do you observe, Marcus? Well, yeah, in in my experience, you know, when it comes to things like uh, export controls, et cetera, et cetera, you usually don't make friends with the sales guys you know, until they realize that they really have a bottleneck there and they cannot keep their lead times, you know, when um, shipments get stopped and expected, you know. And so uh, you do do not have to convince them uh, in the long term, but it is the senior management. But if 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 you want to keep things running and doing it okay and in a professional way, um, it's a bit costly, and that's why you need the tone from the top, from the senior management, no doubt about it. Thank you. Good. I think we have, a, have an agreement on that one. Guess what? To my three panelists, I have probably the hardest question I'm going to ask you for the entire show. You know what's coming. Let's start with Kevin Riddell at Tramco. And Kevin, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking or what's going to be in it right after the show? What do you say? Well, unfortunately, it's just a water bottle at this point, and i got a lot more day to go through. So, um, Rather than tell you what I'm hoping to drink, why don't I tell you my most memorable drink? I'd love it. Tell me. Tell me a story. Probably many years ago in downtown Toronto when I didn't realize my cup had a cockroach until I was nearly done the glass of Coke. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. We've never had a cockroach story on SAP Radio. I've done about 225 shows, and this is the first one. You have me all choked up, Kev. Do you uh, you manage to find it uh, in time, yes? Uh, Yes, yeah. I was able to keep them in the glass and get a free cup after that. No no extra protein then. Day. Oh my no. goodness! <laughs> what, what what was supposed to be in the cup instead of the 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 thing? Just a glass of Coke. 
Just a glass of Coke. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I would have given you a lifetime supply after that. You know, with social media, you can't be too, too, can't be too careful when you're a company with a brand at issue. We know that. Thank you, Kevin, for the smile. Rajen Ayer. Where are you calling from, by the way, Rajen? I'm calling from Orlando. Uh, it's one of the biggest safari event here going on here. I'm, I know. I know. We're so delighted that the three of you are able to call in today. So what are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking, Rajen? Yes. I'm a... Uh, um, kind of a chai person. I know it's one of the things which, you know, you, you also get it in uh, Starbucks. But, you know, I I start my day, I, I prepare my own, uh, what do you call the uh, drink. That's what it starts my day. Um, if I can explain you how I do it, I, if you have a few minutes, I can tell you how I do it. Um, you know, sure, I basically, go ahead. Yeah, I basically take a water and put the tea leaves, starts to boil, and put some spice and um, some ginger in it. And I... I, this actually starts my day, you know, it kind of spices it up, and it's something, it's a ritual, I do it every day, and if I'm traveling, I go for the second option, which is in Starbucks, we get uh, the chai latte, which I normally get a four pumps, my whole company knows that uh, whenever they order for Rajan, they need to get extra pump, you know, which is a little bit of more spice. <laughs> So. I see. Well, you sound like a spicy guy. By the way, you said ginger and spices. What else goes in besides the ginger? And then, you know, definitely, you know, it has to boil for some time so that, you know, you mm-hmm. get the flavor in, in the water. And then I put the cream. And this is one of the Indian oh. style, you know, where I get the cream oh. in and it boils. Um, so it's not likely, you know, you get here, but that's how I grew up. And I'm from India. So um, and then, you know, it's hot. And I know I, you know, it kind of gives me that, uh, you know, good start on the day. <laughs> Um, wonderful, uh, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. And I was asking you, anything besides ginger in terms of spices? Anything else you want to yeah, recommend? Uh, you know, it depends on it. There is uh, some cardamom you can put, and there mm-hmm. are some uh, other spices I get from the shop. And I know it, it depends on what it, I'm in mood for. But yeah. Thank you very much. Good story, <laughs> Marcus Pushka at SAP. Where are you today, Marcus? I'm uh, calling you from Waldorf in Germany. Okay, and what are you drinking? What time is it? Let's see. It's uh, about six hours later. It's evening time there, right? Uh, it's, it's 7 p.m., yeah. So yeah. I wish I had a good cold Budweiser here, but uh, I'm afraid <laughs> that's not the case. So, so um, you, know, you know, being consultant and lawyer at the same time, there's no way around becoming a coffee addict sooner or later. So I'm having a delicious cappuccino. Very nice. That's going to set you up. Okay, I appreciate but, but that. And you know, yeah, go wrong. ahead. I do not. I don't. Don't get me wrong. I do not need to keep my, myself awake. That's not what I meant to say. It's just cappuccino, <laughs> right. delicious around here. Don't we're get me delighted wrong. you've Please. given us the time. No, and Kevin Riddell, I didn't ask where you're calling from today. I was remiss. Where are you? Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, so we've got one Cleveland, one Orlando, and one Waldorf. Wonderful, and I'm here in New York. I think we've rounded out the geography. Guess what? We're talking about trends in international trade management, new frontiers for opportunity. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. If you're keeping track, today is June 2nd, 2014. It's a Monday, and this is episode number 13 in season two. Yes, and we're going to take a break after the show for a couple weeks, and then Financial Excellence will be back in mid-July with Season 3. We're very excited about that. But let's get this party started. I'm going to give my panel a break for about a minute and a half. So we'll be right back with Kevin Riddell at Tremco, Rajan Iyer at Crypt Inc., Marcus Pushke at SAP. I'm Bonnie here at SAP. Game Changers Radio. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out.
unleash the leadership potential of your finance talent now. Your business needs more than just compliant reports. Today's leading finance departments are asked to support business decision-making to help companies to succeed. With SAP's Risk and Finance Solutions, you can provide the advisory that decision-makers are looking for. No matter what data source, no matter where you are, you can find the information you need to add value. Give your finance talent the right tools to be up to the challenge. www.sap.com The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers presented by SAP Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Here we are. Our topic today is trends in international trade management. We're looking for the gold in that pile of sanctions and options and all kinds of regulations around the world. I'm speaking today with Kevin Riddell at Tremco Inc., Rajan Iyer at Crypt Inc., and Marcus Pushke at SAP. So let's get the roundtable started. I'm going to first call on Kevin Riddell. Kevin, I'm going to read from some talking points you sent me, and then I'm let you, going to let you run with it. You say trade compliance landscape is changing rapidly. Governments like the EU and the USA are using sanctions to exert influence on other countries' policies. This means they can prevent their citizens from doing business with other countries or listed entities. Sounds like the masochism comment you made on your quote in the beginning, just to even dip your toe in that water. Please get us started and let's talk about the trade compliance landscape today. Kevin Riddell. Yes. I I guess first off, to give everything a bit of a positive spin is, Sanctions can be in lieu of military action, uh, so they're not always such a bad thing. If the world can be changed through sanctions, it's a lot easier than at the end of a gun. The bad news is it's a very complex thing to navigate. Uh, I, I don't think most people understand, A, how complex existing trade regulations are. Uh, just to give a quick example, I'm sure everybody in the USA knows you can't sell to Cuba, but I think many people would be surprised to learn how long and detailed the lists of individual entities and businesses are that you also can't sell to. Some of them right within the United States itself. Can you tell uh, us some from that list, uh, Kevin? That sounds very intriguing. You, you're asking me to actually name individuals or businesses that are sanctioned? Okay, can you talk about some businesses? I'm just wondering, is it, is it high, uh, high well, priority? or? It, well, the, the most important lists are those, in my opinion, I'm sure other government agencies may disagree, but among the most important lists are the Department of Treasury, uh, specially designated nationals, and mm-hmm. these are individuals or businesses, um, I, I can't really name one off the top of my head, but okay. there are hundreds, if not thousands of them, uh, which is why I can't name them. 
Okay. And, and if you were to so much as sell your product to them, it, it could be uh, an incarceration-level offense. You could be looking at jail time. Really? And so how do people find out about this list of thousands? How, how, do you have, is it like a phone book? It changes every six months or every year? I wish it was every six months. Lately, it's been every week. Uh, <gasps> anybody who's been watching the news sees what's happening in the Ukraine of late. Um, of course. There's also some, some developments in Venezuela. The government is identifying people in those countries that they feel are the cause of their troubles, and they're forbidding transactions with them as a way to, uh, to cut them off. And every week you can come in on a Monday and find out there's been a dozen new entities listed. Your business needs to react immediately mm-hmm. to those newly sanctioned parties. There, there really isn't a grace time. Very, very interesting. Sounds like it's a, it's a hot button for a lot of companies. Quick question for you, Kevin, before I invite Rajan Iyer to comment on this thread. You mentioned here in your notes that you can't sell to, hypothetically, Osama bin Laden regardless of what country he is in. So would you categorize him or do they as one of those entities, Kevin? Well, he's no more. But yeah, we know. In theory, uh, yes, uh, individuals like that often get flagged as a, a terrorist concern and put on... Uh, the, the SDGT list, for example, which means specially designated global terrorist. And if that individual moved to Cleveland, Ohio, it doesn't matter that he's now in the United States. I still can't sell my product to him. So it's not a country sanction. It's actually an individual sanction. Okay. So it's a, uh, a movable feast, if you'll pardon the expression. Let's get Rajan Iyer at Crypt Inc. to talk about what Kevin introduced in terms of this moving target. Rajan, what's your observation? Yeah, I think... Um this is one of the key things I would say, you know, in terms of the compliance, how they are um, stringent and, you know, very uh, changing, ever changing. It's evolving as well. And you know, Kevin brought up this case of um, you have, you know, you can't deal with a specific individual or a company. Um, they also, you know, a lot of countries, they can come in based on, you know, different UN uh, agreements they have. They keep adding countries and, you know, removing them as well. Um, but if you also see in parallel, you ha- also have to deal with um, some of these agreements you have with the company. So you have one side where you have sanctions, which is used as a um, tool to, as Kevin was saying, it's, um, y- you can use this as a more of a positive way of you know, avoiding war because you know, a sanction can be a very powerful tool, but that creates a burden on many companies. Um, in terms of you know, your um, dealing with this, different, um, you know, sanctioned and embargo, it can be very uh, daunting to companies. And one other thing I found is that um, in the past, you know, if I go back, I started to get into the trade automation almost 10, 15 years back, uh, yeah, late 90s, um, people used to manage manually. Um, It's becoming more and more uh, very complex now, and the system automation is the solution I see, you know, in terms of, you know, how you can cope up with that. As Kevin was saying, this list can be updated every day sometimes you know mm-hmm. at least we are seeing every week um and um you know one of the answer to that is to use your system um to at least um make sure that you know your 80/20 rule where you know you can at least automate the things which you don't have to worry in a, in a manage by exception so um i would definitely agree what kevin is saying um but i'm more of a system person and automation i think companies i'm seeing more and more are adopting um, and, um, you know, I, I, I do see that you know, there's a fear of people getting, um, you know, fine. But what I'm seeing now is pe- companies are 
going beyond the fear in the sense, you know, they are automating it, and they are also going, um, making a system where it can be more of a, um, you know, advantage to them. Then they can, like Marcus was saying in his first, um, you know, introduction there, mm-hmm. that you know, they, you know, if you see, if you talk to a salesperson, he may see that as a more of a distraction. But if you tell him that, you know, you can upfront know that, you know, you're not dealing with the wrong person and you can commit to the customer. So it's, it can be a very, um, you know, um, advantage to the business how you see it. So, so I'm more of a system person. I see this as an opportunity and companies do take advantage of that. More and more companies are adopting it and going, you know, away from fear rather saying that, okay, this is something I go beyond protecting my brand and, you know, worrying about being, you know, um, jail time, but rather use it as a, you know, opportunity to really make myself, you know, um, you know, uh, create a, you know, competitive advantage over others. Thank you, Raja. And that reminds me a little bit of this. You sent me an alternate quote we didn't use in the opening, and it was an Albert Einstein quote. The quote is, imagination is more important than knowledge. And I think you're saying just let, let's let's right. dig ourselves around this or out of it. Use your imagination and, and do the best you can. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Marcus Pushke, you are an attorney. You specialized in foreign trade law. So let's talk about your perspective on what Kevin Riddell and Rajan Iyer have introduced in terms of this landscape. Talk to me, please. Yeah, I mean, speaking of lawyers, I'm, I'm facing a dilemma because uh, usually when you address the audience within a company, um, you, you cannot just, you know, come up with the numbers of, of, of legal provisions, but you have to work with analogies. So mm-hmm. uh, to make it more clear... To, to the customers I'm visiting is that I, I tell them that they have to try to imagine um, these sanctions we were talking about um, as being daily politics mm-hmm. cast into the letters of provisions. It's daily politics. You know, if, if the government, U.S. or you, you name it, if they want to hit a person, they put it on the list within a day. Yeah? And that, again... Uh, requires uh, a new level of prudence to handle these things within a company because it's not only that you're aware of these provisions, it's also about keeping yourself updated on an almost daily basis, as um, Kevin just said. And um, when, when, when I talk to customers, and the first thing I always try to do is making you understand what these, what we call smart sanctions are about. So you you're also giving away a lot of business when you just say, you know, we do not do any dealings with Iran, which is a way of doing it. But, you know, just to give an example, the EU embargo imposed upon Iran is almost 100 pages of PDF. So it's not just don't do any business. It's about specific entities like Iran shipping lines. It's about gas and oil companies that are named. It's about specific goods for the nuclear industry of Iran that are prohibited to export. And that, that's what you have to make clear to the customer. And an automated approach is very helpful, of course. But when you automate these, when you try to automate and check these highly complex regulations in your time-critical business processes, you have to keep the data um, on a daily basis right. And you need updates you need to understand what needs to be checked. It's not only the country, it's the entity you're dealing with, even, even on a domestic business. It's not just exporting things. Okay, a domestic deal, um, as my fellow colleagues just mentioned, could be covered by these provisions as well. Okay, so 
it requires a lot of prudence and attention and a high degree of integration into your business processes to really have a certain degree of automation in order not to obstruct your daily business processes because your daily processes are still the ones you're earning money with, okay? And you, you cannot allow these provisions to seriously obstruct your business. And when, when customers come up and say, you know, we have a, a table of countries and we don't do business with them, you know, I, I'd just like to, to provoke them and, and ask them, do you really know what you're doing? Okay. Mm. Do you really know what it's all about? Um, it, it's not that simple. And again, when it comes to the sales front, you're giving away a lot of business because there are these smart sanctions. And in very rare cases, like Cuba, where almost every deal is prohibited, um, with some exceptions, um, you, you could really gain a competitive edge by really knowing how to adopt and to implement these complicated provisions into your business processes, you know, because you, you know better than the rest or than most other companies um, by really, supposed to. By really you're supposed to, making right? best use. Pardon? I said, or you're supposed to have the knowledge to be. That, that's, that's our point today is we're trying to figure out how can companies become the best in terms of using that knowledge to their own advantage. Marcus, thank you. Did you want to finish this, a statement there? I think I interrupted you because I want to move in a different direction. Go ahead and, and finish your thought, oh, no, please. Just, just one final remark that, in, in my yes. opinion, uh, the best way of handling these things in a professional way is not only to have an, any, any sort of electronic um, uh, implementation, uh, but also, in the end, uh, have a very high degree of documentation because whatever you decide, whatever software or whatever checking uh, system brings up, in the end, you have to document uh, who decided based on what grounds because that might be very important because you're dealing with potential criminal offenses at the end of the day. Right. So the audit trail is good. Who wants to chime in? I heard somebody yeah, yeah. Uh, come in. So, Bonnie, this is Rajan. I, I think... Yes. Um, um, uh, Marcus brought up a great point, and um, I, I think that's one of the things uh, we have seen. Here. He gave a classic example of, you know, you might have embargo country, but, um, you know, we have a customer, um, you know, one in Bay Area where they are in life science, and they have to ship some of their, um, you know, the, 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 they make an oncology equipment. They have to ship it to um, their customers in some of these embargo countries because, um, you know, they are dealing with, you know, it could be a U.S. Army there, and, and that's where I, you know, I strongly believe, you know, as a system, you can, you know, if you, you plainly say if you want to manually manage, like you're saying, it's a tons of documentation, you have to review, how do you manage that? Mm-hmm. The simple approach customers take is, okay, I'm going to, ba- you know, stop the you know, transaction from these countries because I can't manage the exception. And that's where I think uh, some tools like, you know, system automation, you know, uh, can help you, you know, manage your situation for those kind of exception cases where you can, you know, selectively release and those customers to shipment to those embargo countries. And, um, and you also, I kind of, you know, mentioned about Bonnie about audit trail. It's very important, mm-hmm. as you said, you know, you not only, you know, screening and making sure that, you no know, you have documentation on, you have interpreted the rule correctly, and that's where, you know, you involve lawyers and all before you set up the system. Uh, but system can help you. I'm not saying that system can do 100% because there are certain things you need to be, uh, you know, having a uh, proof saying, that, you know, what you have done and you got sign-off from the, you know, the right, um, you know, legal or, you know, people who are involved in, but at least you can track, you know, the screening has happened, who has screened it, you know, that can help, you know, mm-hmm. many times in manually, if you manage this, um, 
you know, you can take an easy decision, but it can be a, you know, an opportunity lost for you. And, you know, in some cases, you may, it can be prone to error as well. So I just want to add to that, you know, uh, system automation and, you know, I, you know, today's systems are capable of making more sophisticated, you know, decisions for, for, on behalf of you in terms of you know, at least managing those um, audit trail exceptions, you know, and, you know, managed by, you know, exception. Yeah. Thank you, Raja. And Kevin Riddell, any thoughts you want to add before I change uh, direction here? Uh, I completely agree that automation is uh, essential. I, I can't imagine complying with all these rules without automation, but it can't mm-hmm. be missed that you need, uh, you need expertise. Um, until artificial intelligence is completely in place and we don't need people anymore, there's going to be a human interfacing with the automation. And if that human isn't properly trained or possessing the knowledge, you could still get into trouble. Right. So let's say, let me ask you one question before I do shift gears, and, and this is a good conversation, Kevin, good point. Who is that person? Who are those people? How do they get trained? Is this something you learn in college, in graduate school? Is it an MBA curriculum? Where do they, do they get it on the job? Do they start in a small company and then get advanced up through the ranks in bigger and bigger companies and teach other people? Where does this knowledge come from, Kevin? Uh, in my own case, it, a lot of it has been on the job. I, I've been with Tremco for 20 years, so it's been mostly internal. But there's also third parties that offer training, uh, and the government themselves is also very good, especially in the U.S. Uh, the Bureau of Industry and Security runs some phenomenal one, two, three-day programs to get you up to speed with their rules, Department of Treasury as well. As far as college-level education, I, I honestly don't know. I'm not sure if the other panelists are aware. Okay. Anything, uh, Rajan or, or Marcus, any awareness of places you could go to learn this kind of skill? So this is Rajan. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if there is a, you know, there are, there are courses available on, you know, international trade. Um, but I think there's more, um, what I have seen is it's, it's, um, it's a continuous learning. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like one of those other, um, you know, like a PMI or something, you do do the, you know, basic level, you can, you know, you may come from ground up where, you know, you might be doing some other and you got into the global trade, but you have to be continuously learning. And and there are a lot of um, institutions available where they do provide, um, and it's also very evolving, you know, you, you have to be up to date on the regulation changes and, you know, new countries are coming up with new regulation. Um, I will also defer it to Marcus because he comes from a very academic background, so maybe he can add to, you know, if he has any thoughts on, you know, um, but that's what my, I have seen. You know, it's more of a continuous Thank learning. You. Yeah. Thank you. Sounds good. Marcus, any thoughts on this? Because we have to talk about automation. We have to talk yeah. about how technology can help bail you out. So if you want to start with people and then segue into uh, automation, I'll bring Kevin and Rajan in. Go ahead, Marcus. Uh, just one last remark on the training uh, subject is that you might be very surprised to, 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 to learn that although this subject is, is affecting literally every company doing business, mm-hmm. you, you find rarely any university courses. I, I know of one or two, but the rest is, is left over to uh, occasional um, seminars held by the government agencies and, you know, of course, private um, seminar companies offering these things. But it, it's nothing compared to its importance, really. So that's, it comes as a bit of a surprise, really. Yeah. 
It does. Well, there's an opportunity for someone. I'm going to turn to Rajan Iyer. I want to talk about visibility across the supply chain, just to emphasize that point to our listeners, that it's not just a bit here and a piece there, that it's, it's a whole continuous process. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? And uh, I, I want to make sure that we answer the question, our topic question, how can your company leverage technology to accelerate international trade processes? That's our question of the day. So, Rajan, introduce us to the idea of complete full visibility across the supply chain and then talk to me a little bit about what types of, t- of technology will help you get that visibility, please. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one other thing, um, I think in the past, people have seen global trade as more of, okay, you know, do are you, are you compliant in terms of, you know, the business you're dealing with? Um, but now the more and more, you know, companies have started to see this as a more of a, you know, a integrated supply chain. Um, so you need to get visibility when I say that, you know, uh, there are programs where companies, uh, you know, countries are enforcing where, you know, starting from your opportunity where even if you have not even thought about, you know, selling something to a customer, you need to start to track them. How do you get that kind of a visibility across that? Are you, are you spending your time whom you can really do a business with? Uh, and then, you know, you finally, when you place an order and then you have complex regulatory requirement in terms of, you know, you can't ship the part to the person, but you need probably a license or exception to, mm-hmm. you know, because of your product, which is going to a different country. So you have to, you know, when you commit to a customer, you need to get a visibility in terms of you can meet that commitment with the customer. Uh, same thing comes to, you know, you, when you start, you know, procure or even before procuring, you are managing your, you know, your supply network. And you need to get visibility on making sure that not just the, the person, the vendor, or sorry, you're sourcing from, but you might be dealing with multiple partner, be it your, you know, carrier who's going to ship this, um, you know, goods, or, you know, somebody who's a freight forwarder, because your responsibility is, you know, managing not just, you know, the, the customer who I'm shipping it to, but also the supplier who is supplying in source mm-hmm. of your services, your, you know, um, getting from them. So nowadays, global trade is not just a compliance saying that oh, you're being compliant, but also getting a visibility across that, making sure that you, know, you are dealing with the right people and you're getting visibility across that you're, the partners whom you are working with um, are, not, are the people whom you can you know, do business with. Um, and you need to be constantly reporting that, saying that you know, there, are, there are different programs available where you need to report to your uh, you know, uh, government authorities. So... That's for the external, but for internally also you need to track them so that you are able to meet, meet the commit date. Um, even within your warehouse, which is a very internal focused, um, you don't want to waste your time where you know that, you know, this particular, you know, goods you're going to pick and pack, you might have potential issue of, you know, maybe you don't have a license for some of the part, or you're waiting on that, or you need to get a special permission, uh, or you don't have proper documentation. So these can actually help you save you know, in terms of your resource and planning. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, we have seen customers are making decisions on their distribution network, which is a planning, very complex planning. Um, they are deciding, you know, the model because they want to work on a model where they can ship from anywhere to anywhere. So if they have, you know, shipment coming from, um, you know, maybe a um, uh, EU, but they want to ship it to a customer which is, you know, in Middle East. They want to ensure that they are meeting all the different legs and, you know, compliance, and they can track them as well. So I think um, the supply chain visibility. When I talk about, um, there are 
um, different automation available, and most importantly, you need to make sure that your global trade is integrated across your, um, you know, different processes, you know, be it procure to pay or order to cash or even starting from opportunity or your supplier and even, you know, within your warehouse or transportation management. So that's where the point I want to emphasize here that, um, you know, this can be looked at at a very uh, critical tool where you can integrate across your supply chain. Thank you. Rajan, before I let you go, I'm going to bring Kevin in, but I want to know in one sentence, what does Crypt Inc. do, please? Yeah, so um, Crypting is basically a, a global trade and a supply chain um, company which um, has, um, you know, done several implementation with customers who are looking at automating their uh, supply chain. We have certain uh, several products and patents which, you know, we are augmenting, um, you know, SAP's global trade GTS and some of the supply chain uh, products like transportation management, extended warehouse. We believe in an integrated solution, and that's where we are trying to get um, customers, you know, benefit out of their, you know, different platform or SAP they pick on. Thank you very much. Let's turn to Kevin Riddell. Kevin, why don't you tell us before you start on this point, and I have a question for you. What does Tramco do, please? Tramco manufactures construction and building materials, predominantly chemical-based. We are actually a chemical manufacturer, so we make sealants, waterproofing, roofing membranes, uh, many different materials, all of which share a, a characteristic of being involved in construction. Thank you very much. And Kevin, what do you say about automation? What do you say about embedding? For example, let's talk about customs management into your business processes. Is this something you can automate? Absolutely. Uh, and I would endorse it for anybody who can. Uh, just quick, I, I wear two hats. So I, I'm involved mm-hmm. in the business execution as well as the customs compliance. I agree completely with Rajan on the visibility and from a business perspective, uh, when that person down the hall needs to know where that container of raw material is, they need the visibility. They need to know because that affects when the production line is potentially going to go down because we're out of stock and and we all know where that leads to. Next thing you know, Mm -hmm. we've lost a sale. But from a compliance perspective, I'm not sure visibility is the right word. It's almost consistency. Uh, if, if you imagine a sale from Tremco Canada to Tremco U.S., mm-hmm. and Tremco Canada creates paperwork to go with the shipment out of one system, they file an export declaration with the government out of a different system, that paperwork gets taken by the carrier, faxed to the customs broker, inputted into another system, and now we get to Tremco U.S. Their job is to file an import with U.S. customs. They do that in another system entirely. Mm. Uh, if there's no consistency there, there's the potential for the data in each of those declarations differing from each other, and that's a compliance problem. It, Tremco U.S. needs to import what Tremco Canada exported, and by putting everything into one system, you enable that. You, you avoid a huge compliance headache. Okay, so you want to make sure that all of your systems and processes are integrated so, if you will, one speaks to each other in the same language, basically. Exactly. This sounds sounds like it could be... Almost a deal breaker. I'm thinking uh, we had a series recently called Startup Focus with Game Changers, and I spoke with people from all over the world who were serial startups, serial entrepreneurs, and the excitement I heard in their voices and the the 
excitement about being able to make something, a product or a service, and approach companies all over the world with this new widget or, or widget process. And now reflecting back on those conversations, and I'm what I'm learning now from the three of you today, is that they were facing what could have been deal breakers and daunting challenges before they even put their processes together, is how do we come out of the gate with the ability to manage trade. Would you say, Kevin, this is something that could be a stopper for a lot of small companies if they really don't know what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the smaller the company, the smaller the volume. It It is, on the one hand, a little easier to manage in a manual process, but mm -hmm. the risks are the same, small or large. Uh, if you do one shipment a year and you fall afoul of the rules, the penalty will be the same as if you do a thousand shipments and one of them broke the rules. So I would say small companies have potentially a greater risk exposure because mm -hmm. it's such a large percent of what they do. But the smaller volumes definitely lend themselves more to a manual process. As you increase in volumes, uh, automation just becomes essential. Okay, thank you. Marcus Pushke, any comments on, we're talking now on the reflection on company size in terms of understanding and having processes in place, whether they're manual or they morph into automation for, for things like customs management and uh, trade agreements. Marcus, any legal observations for, to go on top of what Kevin just said? Uh, yeah, there are, of course, a number of legal pitfalls uh, with it, but, but again, it's all, even from a legal uh, standpoint, we're always talking about system integration and uh, almost real-time data flows. You know, a legal pitfall might be that you have a warehouse management system and you do, uh, through an intercompany sale, uh, you, you do a stock transfer, you know, from one warehouse side to the other. Now, if that's between two different countries, um, it might be that you do the stock transfer, uh, while at the same time, the goods might still be under customs custody. So, that's I think a quite good example of how you have to keep your systems and your data flow in sync, the warehouse management system, the custom system, uh, and of course, uh, your procurement and the sales system, you know, if they're not in the same system anyway. Um, so it is really about how fast you can go and to what degree you manage to integrate your system landscape. And um, if, you, if you book a system, just think of audits. You know, when you, you book a stock transfer to one warehouse, when it turned out in the end, according to system protocols or whatever, uh, that at that point in time, the goods were still in customs custody. Okay, so you have legal requirements and you have IT requirements. And it's really the challenge uh, for smaller and larger businesses uh, to come up with a solution and uh, to define the interfaces and really to, f to define the critical points within your business processes and the supply chain in particular that need to be addressed when you enter and embark upon a system integration project. Thank you, Marcus. Guess what? I'm not going to take a break because this conversation is too interesting. Sorry, guys, you've got to plow through. We've got nine minutes till the end of the show. That's why it would be a shame to break up this party. I'm going to ask a question of all three panelists. We'll go back to the original order, Kevin, then Rajan and Marcus. And I'm going to ask you, of course, it's time for your predictions, what we call the crystal ball segment. If we had this conversation, let's fast forward to 2020. What will be different? What will have changed about the trends in international trade management? Will it be more daunting, less? I think I know the answer to that. And in terms of opportunity, what do you see? However, 
please build into your answer, your prediction, how more companies can turn foreign trade compliance into a competitive advantage. So I'd, I'd like to be, have that part of your prediction. Kevin Riddell at Trimco, I'm going to give you two minutes. Why don't you talk to me? Uh, based on what we're seeing in the last few years, I think more enforcement is a realistic prediction. Uh, not necessarily more rules, but more enforcement of the same rules, though I'm sure we'll also see new rules. Uh, I, on a more positive note, an opportunity, I, I think we'll see automation translate down to smaller companies. To get back to your question to me about small businesses, mm-hmm. I think in the beginning automation belonged to the big guns, so to speak. Uh, it was expensive, yes. it was complex, they needed resources. I think as time goes on, third parties are going to modify or stick handle the software so that it can be offered to smaller businesses. And 10 years from now, I think we'll see a much larger percent of businesses in general automating their compliance, which is a good thing. And it allows them to compete on the global level uh, because falling afoul of the rules can damage your brand, result in hefty fines. It could, it can even take away your, uh, your freedom to export. Export is a privilege, not a right. Mm-hmm. Good point. So to my, my question on how can foreign trade compliance be turned into a, a cutting-edge competitive advantage, is this something only for the big guys? Or just in two sentences, what do you observe, Kevin, for the future? No, I, I, think, it, I think it will translate down from the big guys to the smaller ones, uh, but it will become essential. I think we'll find trading partners won't want to do business with you on a cross-border move unless they can trust you. Because ah, the liability okay. can extend to your mm-hmm. partners as well as yourself. Sure. Good, good point. Thank you very much. Let's turn to Rajen Iyer at Crypt Inc. K R Y P T. Rajen, what do you observe for the future? I can give you. Uh, well, Kevin didn't use up his whole two minutes. So I can give you a little more time. And what do you observe? And and how about your prediction for? Will more companies get it? Will they become savvy about foreign trade compliance, playing by the rules, automating the processes? And who will win that competitive advantage? What do you see? Mark, I'm sorry, Raj and I are, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I definitely see, you know, I've seen this um, since this 10, 15 years. There's quite a change in companies have um, gone from doing manually, um, looking at screening, not just because you know, the the tools, you know, they've got a lot of automation, but, you know, regulations have become very complex. Um, so I I see the future, you know, it's going to get more and more complex. Um, when I say complex is because of, you know, people will start getting more sophisticated. Maybe we will have less of war, but more of these sophisticated sanctions where it can be used, where companies can, you know, control where the money flows. Um, that's one of the prediction I see that. And then the other one is um, how you can also, you know, use the free trade agreement because, you know, if you look, you know, free trade agreement, if you look back, um, has originated, you know, since after the World War One, and the two, you know, I understand, you know, they had designed this to make sure that how you can, you know, avoid this kind of a bigger war. And so I do see that, you know, there will be, it's like a stick and carrot kind of a situation, um, mm-hmm. and it's going to get more complex in terms of uh, your regulation. It's going to also uh, be for companies who can make use of this to their advantage. You know, if they can automate it, um, they can be more competitive. So it's it's no longer I see uh, companies you know see this as a, you know even if I take a compliance uh, affecting their brand or fine, but rather 
use this for their, you know, um, competitive advantage of how they can automate that, um, you know, and they can make a use of that just beyond being, you know, uh, a fear, but, you know, getting visibility across, getting confidence on that, mm-hmm. you know, they can also save money in terms of, you now we talked about some of these customs management where there's so much of documentation required. You rely on a lot of your partners uh, who you pay, um, you know, be it bro- brokers or freight forwarders. Um, you can actually have a confidence on your data and also, you know, uh, negotiate those kind of. So there's, there's a lot of cost savings, um, confidence. And, um, you, know, you know, I think um, as the complexity goes, people I see will also be more mature. And that goes beyond, you know, bigger companies. I see that even, you know, midsize and smaller companies will start to be, you know, start to adopt that. So, Thank you very much, Rajan. Well put. And Marcus Pushke, last but certainly not least, I want you to do your predictions. But when you give them to me, I'd like you to address... Whether you think geopolitical forces, we're talking about denied and restricted parties, and the intensive oversight of customs and other authorities looking at, hmm, who is he doing business with? I don't know about that. Will that abate at all, Marcus? So give me that in your predictions. What will the landscape look like in terms of political and ge- geographic? Go ahead. Um, you know, with the, with, the, uh, with the fact of data exchange between governments already, I think uh, there's no turning back, and uh, the, the future I see will be that uh, your business processes will be X-rayed from A to Z. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the on the other side, on a brighter note, I think not only will your uh, integrated compliance checks and customs clearance procedures become a matter of course, but also a quality feature for a company doing well in these fields, and. Um, I think that just imagine that all the data you're transmitting to the customs or to any sort of authority, it's, it's really a treasure, not only for those you're sending it to, but also for other government agencies who are interested in your business. So I expect, and this is what we are facing in the EU, that the amount of data you have to transmit uh, will increase, will clearly increase. And the better you can handle it, uh, the more trust you can gain from your business partners and from the authorities as well, of course. That goes without saying. So I think um, there's no turning back, as I just said. And I think that um, many companies are not aware that their business processes are already integrated. They're integrated with the processes of your government agencies uh, when you're doing the data exchange. And that's what many perceive as some sort of a bottleneck. But again, the better you're, you'll be able to overcome this bottleneck by really having a very smooth handling of these processes with electronic features, um, the, the better your quality and the faster um, your ability to react to markets and um, other challenges will be. So I think it's clearly increasing uh, the whole matter. And there's no, no way that medium or small companies will be spared out. Mm-hmm. Rather, on the contrary, I think industry will find ways of, of making this technology accessible for them as well. They have to. Mark, it's, thank you, Marcus. I have changer. to wrap it. 
Time for, thank you very much. Sorry to cut you off. I have about 45 seconds left and I need to use it to wrap up. Guess what? As I said at the opening, this is episode number 13 in season two of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. So we're going to be wrapping up this show as the end of season two. And I want to thank my special guests, Kevin Riddell. I only have 30 seconds left. I'll talk faster. Kevin Riddell at Tremco. Thank you, Kevin. Rajan Iyer at Cryptic. Nice to meet you too. And Marcus Pushka at SAP. Great to speak with all three of you. Bruce Romney, thanks for your support of this topic and this guest list, Aaron Hughes, Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans, thank you all for being sponsors of this series. And today it's Brad and the Business Channel team. Thanks for getting us and keeping us on the air. It's been a pleasure. We're going to be coming back, moving this show to Tuesdays in mid-July. So keep tuned to all of our other SAP Game Changers shows, and we'll tell you exactly the date and the time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.